Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. Here we are. This is episode 62 of Anime World Order. I guess introductions, as usual, are in order. My name is Gerald Rathkold, and with me, as usual... Daryl Surratt. I just woke up, like, five minutes ago because I was playing <laughs> Call of Duty 4 all weekend, and I went to bed at 7 in the morning, <laughs> and it's just, I have to be at work soon. I don't know what's going to happen. Hmm. And I am Clarissa, and I've been awake since, like... 8 o'clock this morning. I'm in the same boat as you. I think we kind of logged on at the same time, too. Yeah, Anime World Order. We review anime. We talk about anime. And all that good stuff. Only this this week week we're all, for differing reasons, tired and mentally out of it. Whatever. This is kind of a weird week for us. This is basically a catch-up. So, what are we going to do this week? Okay, well, I figured since um, when we say catch-up, what we've been referring to is that if you've never listened to the show before, general policy on Anime World Order is when we review something, we want to try and review the entire body of work to give people an idea that if they start to watch something and we give it a good review, that it's probably good throughout. Yeah, there's too many shows out there that either are really good in the beginning and then get really awful, or are really awful and then get really good. And so, so there were some things in the past that we reviewed that we only had Volume 1, and since that time... The whole thing has since come out. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to review volumes 2 and 3 of the manga 2 Terra, which is released in America by Vertical Inc. And so I strongly recommend that you listen to show number 51's review of 2 Terra first, because I'm not really sure how much I can say without spoiling things, but I'll try and keep things relatively vague, even though I said most of my stuff in show number 51. Also, maybe if you heard Show 51 already and haven't yet read these volumes and you don't want to hear this, be sure to go to the website on AnimeWorldOrder.com and just look at the time codes so you know what is coming up when, and then you'll know to skip things if need be. Way, way, way back in show number four, I reviewed a show, the first disc of which was out then, called Hakuge, The Legend of Moby Dick, a show directed by Osamu Dozaki with character designs by Akio Sakino, a duo that I very much like. They're made of gold. Pretty much, yeah. I said I would go back and I would review the full show, and I think it's about time that I actually did that. So, this is going to be kind of the full review of Hakuge Legend of Moby Dick, but as Daryl was saying, I suggest you go back, sort of, I suggest you go back and listen to that episode. That was episode four, when we didn't know how to level ourselves out, and we didn't have microphones and anything, so... So We screamed at the computer. Yeah, we just screamed at it and hoped that it would come out. We screamed into the mic in, Jack. (laughs) My review is not going to be very heavy on plot synopsis, so that's basically left mainly for that original review. I've been really busy lately and didn't really feel like watching an entire other show, and we need to talk about AWA. That's Anime Weekend Atlanta, which was a con we went to, what, now is it a couple months back? About a month or so month and a half now? Mm, yeah, something like that. 
and we needed to talk about it. So instead of actually reviewing a show this time, I'm going to head up our discussion about what AWA was like. And just as a reminder, we split off the Anime Week in Atlanta report into its own separate file. So check the feed or the website. So there you have it. If you have anything you want to say to us, be sure to email us at animeworldorder at gmail.com. Check out the show itself at animeworldorder.com. Call our voicemail line. It is 206-666-4296. So I guess we should get on with the letters. We have got a letter here from... I'm going to totally butcher your name, man. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it, he says, greetings from Singapore. And this is from Chun Shi Huan. I'm totally butchering it. I'm sorry. <laughs> and this is in reference to a news story that we talked about a few shows back about ODEX and about these protests that were happening in Singapore. And he says, Dear AWO Trio, here's a shout out to you guys from the city state of Singapore where it is mostly green and clean and the local government is deceptively boring. More on that later. My name is Chun Shi Huan and I have been following your podcast with great interest as you were recommended by ANN as one of the few podcasts that are worth listening to. All right, free promotions. <laughs> you know we paid for that, right? Of course, with our podcast millions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It certainly surprised me that the infamous Odex saga got picked up around the world, all the more so to actually hear you mention it, not once but twice. For a city-state like that, it sure sounds like a dubious honor to our name, because the government here keeps us real peaceful and happy so that the international news agencies would lose interest in our country and minimize outside opinion of our laws and policies. My thoughts. Except, of course, when there's glory and fame to be made, namely hosting the Formula One races for next year. For the record, I really love my country and I'm pretty proud of it and for what it is today. Odex has certainly made a bad name for itself to the point where I really wonder, where do they want to go with this? Surely they must already have realized that they have shot themselves in both feet with one bullet with the outcry from the anime fan community and the court case involving them with the internet service providers, which, by the way, resulted in Odex being stalled in their efforts to legitimize on their civil action against the anime downloaders, with the reason cited as, as the company being only a distributor. Should we explain what this uh, is for the people who didn't actually hear the story that we yeah. talked about? Yeah, basically the issue here is that Odex is trying or was attempting to sue downloaders of anime. Yeah, they're a company that distributes yes. anime in Singapore and they were sending letters to people who they found to be downloading anime, making them pay money. Yes, mm. and this was very unique because this is really the first time that something like that has gone that far, to the point where they actually were demanding money. I believe they yeah. said that some anime fans actually uh, paid it. But uh, they well, were asking... there, d there does seem to be a trend lately of people taking action against, or trying to take action against downloaders. I know I've been hearing more and more news stories lately about such and such manga publisher, such and such anime company. Granted, a Japanese company can't really throw a lawsuit on someone in America quite so easily. Yeah, it's not very easy, and this mm -hmm. is what... Well, uh, copyright laws are international. Right, it's they just are. difficult. So, yeah, this is what Chun Shiwana is referring to. He continues. Now, the public reaction was pretty amusing. Not since the last serious demonstration, more than 30 years ago, have we seen fans, or common Singaporeans for that matter, being so vocal about anything to the point of boycotting and destroying Odex products and releases and wearing anti-Odex shirts. In Singapore, that is surely a sight to see. Thus it has been a few months after the big hoo-ha, and just recently the news broke that Odex is still not letting up on their civil action effort. They are appealing the judgment, and a different judge is now reviewing their case. Details on that are small. And he gave us a news link, and we'll put that in the show notes. 
He says, uh, Odex reasoning for their noble course of action aside, it may be worth mentioning that we are amongst the heaviest downloaders of fan subbers in the world. No kidding. I am not sure where that came from, though it seems likely to be true. Odex's history can be found on Wikipedia with an article that is heavily biased and which is probably written by an angry anime fan. Uh, that's actually where we got a lot of our information about Odex. Who so. else other than angry anime fans and Odex employees would care enough to contribute to the Wikipedia <laughs> article Very sure. yeah. on Odex? Yeah, that's why Wikipedia, you always have to take it with a grain of salt. Now. Man, that reminds me of a news story I was reading a little while ago about some guys, was it in the Japanese government that got caught updating Gundam articles? Yes, yes, yes. it Wikipedia. was the, the Ministry of like Agriculture or something like that. <laughs> And then they had to release a statement like, the Ministry of whatever is not the Ministry of Gundam. <laughs> and, like, one guy had, like, 200 edits from his yeah. office during work hours. It was oh, really God. good. <laughs> I wonder if he had a Shar Aznable helmet in his desk. I hope so. Oh, I want so. to believe he did. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Junshi continues. It is worth noting that Odex also leases titles that are broadcast on local late-night television. Currently, there are back-to-back showings of D. Grayman and Cowboy Bebop. Right now, I don't see how Odex is going to clean up their own mess aside from firing their bosses, their names are pretty much blacklisted by the local anime fans, and having a complete makeover. The thought of Odex alone pisses any Singaporean anime fan off nowadays, which brings me to present you with this brilliant Flash animation made by a Singaporean during the early days of this entire affair. And he also sent us a YouTube link, so we'll uh, put that in the show notes as well. Daryl actually responded to him. And then he actually came back and he said, I noticed that you had mentioned that importing Region 1 DVDs personally is considered illegal. And this is also in reference to another issue where um, this one guy in Singapore imported the uh, Haruhi discs and they apparently confiscated them at the border. Yeah. So that's what he's talking I've, about here. Those I've are Region 2s, though. The, yeah. But it's the same yeah. idea. Yeah. Just importing, I, like, non-region. Right. Like, outside of your region. And he Don't says, they have a lot of uh, restrictions on content as well? I think I remember hearing from several BL fans in Singapore that they had a lot of trouble trying to import stuff from Japan, that it was like really risky, that a lot of the time they'd have stuff seized by customs. Or That's an issue in general when you import anything that could have graphic content. Like, right, right. I mean, I guess BL can range from, you know, just guys hugging each other to full Well, on. I guess it seemed like maybe Singapore was a little more restrictive. Yeah, it might be. I believe that that is an issue in America as well. Like, you cannot send pornography through the mail or whatever. Yeah, I've seen some people come up with it occasionally. I've seen it happen in, like, Canada too. But, I don't know, I don't see it that often. Granted, there sure is a lot of pornography being sent through the U.S. mail. Yeah, Yeah, I think most of the time they just don't bother to check. Yeah, I don't really know what that's about. I think it's more like the ultra-legal definition of pornography, like child pornography or whatever, as opposed to like, right, an right. issue of hustlers and pornography in that rule. Right. I s- also, yeah. I think there usually has to be something that catches their attention about your package that would make them open it, and maybe sometimes they open some at random, but it's not like they search every single package. Yeah, yet, yeah anyway. they just can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yet. Yeah, anyway, Shunshi continues. While I'm not too sure about the exact law that goes around such things, and I'm rather too lazy and tired to check it out on our law's website, because ignorance is no defense, I believe the MDA reserve their right to simply intercept and review the items in question and act accordingly by law as the blogs you had mentioned previously had demonstrated. To add injury to insult, the MDA demands that the person who imports the DVDs pay a fee once their screenings are done. In other words, should my imported DVDs get intercepted by the MDA, I would eventually receive them. If it's not porn or some silly shit, only I'd receive them edited, plus a love note demanding my money for the services rendered, wanted or not. 
Oh, that's really nice. That said, it is still legitimate to own DVDs of other regions, anime or otherwise. I should know, having just purchased an R1 DVD, a special deluxe edition of Ghost in the Shell by Monk Entertainment, from a video store, despite already having a really adequate and really good, possibly bootleg copy of the same movie. Oh man, Paul Chapman's going to be mad when he hears that, because it's <laughs> all about, like, oh my god, the Region 1 release of Ghost in the Shell has been bad for however many times that manga keeps releasing it because oh they changed the music in the credits and something something anyway he finishes up i went home with the goods and kept slapping myself mentally for doing that i worship mamoru oshii and all oh so no there. jeremy destroy our podcast dx is gonna be really <laughs> mad now but yeah that's uh shunshi shunshi who i've been mispronouncing his name this entire time i'm pretty sure people are used to you mangling their language and their names gerald oh, so maybe it's like an honor for their name to be mangled by us i don't know <laughs> I've got another email here. This one is slightly easier to pronounce. It's from Stacy in Australia, and she writes, AWO, it doesn't suck, so stop saying it does. Hey there, Clarissa, Gerald, and Daryl. Believe it or not, whenever a new episode of AWO is released, and it is three hours long, like the last episode was, I feel reassured. Since this matter was brought up on Show 61, I am one of those people who listens to podcasts at work, and I have listened to every single episode of AWO twice. As my enormously dull job stacking supermarket shelves on the night shift affords me a full 40 hours a week in which to listen to podcasts. Ah, portable MP3 players, the friend of antisocial night fillers everywhere. For the record, every episode of AWO, including all the bonus episodes, thus far totals only 123 hours, which is slightly less than 16 eight-hour days of work, so it is conceivable, though untenable for a sane mind, to listen to nearly every episode of your podcast at work in only three weeks. I've been listening to your show for well over a year, and I've carefully spaced out the repeats, so I don't take in too much of Daryl at any one time. <laughs> this email's over. No, it's just, there's, there's more here. All right. fan. <laughs> I had a whole bunch of stuff to talk about regarding your show and its presentation and potential areas of improvement. But I'll save that for later. The only thing I'll mention now is this. Your show is, in fact, quite good. I have listened to many podcasts, and most of them are insufferable. And certainly almost all the other anime-based ones are not at the level of AWO, as far as interesting content goes. One thing that will make your show not be so good is if you keep crapping on about how your show is no good. Stop it. A little modesty is fine. And certainly don't start getting smug about how fucking brilliant you are. But the show is good, even if you think it isn't. Thank you, more to come. P.S. I've been doing a radio show for 12 years now, and I still do shitty shows, so I don't think it gets any easier. I think most of the time when it's I... It's just sort of become a running joke at this point, I yeah, guess. I, I'm yeah, I'm not like the beating myself up Fred Gallagher style, oh, I'm so terrible, and by saying that, what I'm really fishing for is for several people to come out of the woodwork and say, no, no, you're great, keep going. That's really not what we're going for. It's usually an admission to say we're not taking this incredibly seriously. <laughs> Well, I don't know. It's it's also that we do our podcast, I guess, compared to a lot of other podcasts. Right. Uh, the turnaround time is very high. Yeah. Not only that, I mean, I don't think that we've got like the rapport that, you know, Dave and Joel do. That's true. This because we're all remotely located and yeah. not located in the other. same room with <laughs> one another because we hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> we can't play off one another and it's not entirely certain when someone is done speaking or not and so on and right. so forth it makes it very frustrating editing because we're constantly interrupting each other because we we can't see when we're finished talking right so, right yeah we'll keep it up i guess <laughs> thanks for listening to our shitty show hey <laughs> stop it <laughs> uh, uh. all right we have another 
email this time from Andrew over in Scotland. We're all over the place this episode. And he says, hey, AWO, I just wanted to say I've been listening to your show for a few months now, and you're easily the best anime podcast. I've got to thank you for introducing me to the works of Osamu Tezuka. I never would have read Phoenix or Buddha if it hadn't been for you guys reviewing it. Hooray. I recently bought Collection yep. 1 of the Blackjack OVAs, and it lived up to all my expectations. Yay! Hooray. I also wanted to inform about how the anime fandom is going here in the UK. Recently, an anime channel has begun broadcasting. So far, the channel has been showing Wolf's Reign, Planetess, Cowboy Bebop, Fulminal Alchemist, Ghost in the Shell, Bleach, and Hackside. What, no Highlander Search for Vengeance? Scotland. <laughs> Repeated constantly? Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> so far, it's been pretty great. It's even been showing the program subbed and dubbed. It actually sounds like wow. a pretty decent lineup to start in subbed and dubbed. That's, That's nice. a lot better yeah. than the TV channels that we get here. Yeah, really. We don't get anything. Well, we actually, there was one channel that showed some anime sub. Yeah. It's, but and it's, I don't think yeah. there's anybody who's run, like, Planetests. I don't no. know if there's anybody no. who would run Planetests. Some pretty decent anime conventions have begun in England and Scotland. The ones I've been to are pretty decent, except for Japan EX, which was just a bunch of screaming Naruto fangirls and how to draw manga panels. Also, what do you think of Buddha and Helsing, both the manga and Ultimate? They're some of my all-time favorite manga. Anywho, keep up the good work, Andrew. I bought all of Buddha in hardcover. That's my answer. <laughs> I still need to pick it up. I missed that vertical sale, so I've only got the first two volumes. Yeah, I bought a few things, but I'm trying to cut back, so I, I didn't get all of Buddha. He was talking about the UK. I have a friend over there who is actually from America. He's in London, and he went to an anime club. And you can't do it the same way in America. Like, in America, what you do is you just go to a library. You'd ask them, can you have a weekly meeting here? You'd show right. some stuff, and that's it. There, you can't do it that way, apparently. What you're showing... You have to pay the place that you're showing it in or something. It's kind of like it has to function like a movie theater almost. Like they have to show it in a pub and they have to pay the pub owner. And apparently it's not successful enough because you... Why can't they just meet at a guy's house if it's at that point? And there's got to be somebody who has a big living room. See, yeah. I, I asked that and uh, apparently it's not enough people to make it successfully financially, but it's still about 30 people. And then you have 30 people in your living room. And remember, you're in London. Nobody has a lot of space. There, so... Yeah. Seems like it just kind of sucks in general. On the subject of other things from Scotland, you asked about Helsing, either the manga or Helsing Ultimate. First issues of Otaku USA, I reviewed Helsing Ultimate Volume 2. I actually like Helsing Ultimate quite a bit. I think most of us here are of the opinion that the manga and Helsing Ultimate are way better than the original Helsing TV series. Kind of the only thing that the original Helsing TV series has going for it is the music. Mm. Yeah, it started I was... out okay, even though it had bad animation, and then it just got terrible. Yeah, I was never a fan of the TV series from the get-go, but then Helsing Ultimate, I don't know, I, I mean, I haven't read the manga. It was very similar to the TV series, but it had a little bit more humor to it, I guess. Right. which I understand was originally in the manga to begin with. So I thought Helsing Ultimate was a lot better. Hmm. I'm really bad. I haven't actually watched Helsing Ultimate yet. I keep meeting to, oh, no. and then I, I end up not having time. Every, every time I think about it, I either don't have time then, and then when I have time, I end up completely forgetting about it. And I have not kept up on the Helsing manga. I'm quite behind on it, but I do I... like what I read of the manga and the parts of the TV show that followed it a little more closely were not as good as the manga, but I enjoyed those. So mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to watching Ultimate, 
even if Dave and Joel hate it. Yeah, I don't understand how they can hate Helsing Ultimate, but hey, they hate Gal Gygar as well. Those but they bastards. hate the right part of Gal Gygar to hate. Well, it's true. Unfortunately, they're reviewing that as the whole show, and Gal Gygar is probably the greatest giant robot show ever made. That's actually Giant Robo, but I think but. it's just they rightly disagree with the notion that you should sit through bad things to wait for it to get good. I'm more of the opinion of skip to the part where it gets good, but at the same time, we're at this point where a lot of people just aren't really appreciating the general structure of storytelling anymore due to attention spans. A crappy tightrope to walk. Because on the one hand, yes, I don't want to have to watch 50 episodes of a show before it gets good, but on the other hand, when you think of how stories are, you've got the exposition Mm -hmm. and your narrative hook after the exposition so it follows that you must go through some sort of expositionary point before you get to that thing that makes the story interesting and a lot of people demand that hook be in the first episode but let's say your show is 100 episodes long yeah is it really fair to demand that hook come in within even the first five episodes i would say not necessarily Mm -hmm. sunrise shows are the classic example because your sunrise mecha anime show take your pick of either yep. the 80s, 90s, or even now, most of them are planned for about 50 episodes, and without fail, the narrative hook is not till about episode 13 or 14. Yep. Yeah. And so you just have to know that this entire 13 episodes is just exposition, and right. it's very difficult to do expositionary material without launching into your big arc. Yeah. The big example they gave was for shonen fighting shows, but all shonen fighting shows all start off with just expositionary stuff and storylines, and it doesn't really start, like, the narrative hook, if we want to use that literary term, until they introduce the villain of the series. Right. Think about Naruto. Orochimaru doesn't show up for, like, a good 20-some episodes. Yeah. Even though I think is a shitty villain, so I'll say Kabuto and and Rock Lee and everyone, all the cool characters show up after about 20 episodes. And you could say the same thing for Kenshin once they introduce Shishio. Again, episode 25 or 26, thereabouts. Right. Fist of the North Star, Rao doesn't show up a good 30-some episodes, but it's a 150-episode show. So yeah. that's yeah. the thing you got to sort of understand, in my mind, because the way the anime series now being 13-episode total runtime, mm-hmm. tw- maybe 26-episode total runtime, it is reasonable to say, okay, one disc, five episodes. Right. Is this interesting? Yes, no. I'm always much more forgiving for shows that I know are that sort of episodic, be not necessarily episodic, but those long format kind of shows like your Sunrise Robot shows, your Brave series shows, your Shonen Fighting shows, because I know that that show is going to be really long and they have to pace things out and stretch things out. You're just going to have a greater stretch of time where it's going to take longer to get ramped up. And I also believe that sometimes there are those shows where you get your big deal payoffs very early on. That's kind of the big problem that we're noticing. And then the thing is, then there are these shows where I think that when there's exposition and there's build-up that doesn't abuse the listener, I mean, viewer, I think that sometimes that big reveal, that big thing, whatever it is, can be far more rewarding. I know there are people who disagree with me on this. Like, I remember some people, they prefer that the show be good at first and then become bad because then they can just stop watching it and they've watched just the good part already and they don't need to watch anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm more of the opinion that I prefer more complete works and so... To take that opinion would mean I'd have to support Gonzo. So <laughs> go watch all the, only the good three episodes of the Gonzo show, then never right. watch anymore. If a show started out really spectacularly shitty, and then people were like, oh, no, no, no it gets better later on. 
I think maybe I probably wouldn't watch it either, like, if it was really, really terrible at first, but I don't know, I didn't think Al Geiger was that bad. It's very standard, I think. It's, it's very standard, uh, yeah. but it wasn't, like, painful to watch or anything, so I guess it didn't seem like that much of a hardship to sit through. But at the same time, sometimes being standard is a crime unto its own. With so much anime being out, you kind yeah. of want to limit your time right. to only watch the things that are great. But right. what's interesting is that since I've watched through all of Gal Geiger, I'm watching the show again as I buy it on DVDs, even though the DVDs are kind of uh, on hiatus right Stop now. Being, but yeah. watching it a second time is very much more rewarding. You see a whole lot more in those early episodes of what comes later right. than I thought. It's actually really great watching it again. I think all this kind of lends credence why we see fit to review the entire show. Yeah. Right. Because then we can at least say that this is the case, that it does pick up or that it does fall apart Yeah, at and I the mean, end. I know that we're going on on Gal Gygar a lot, but Gal Gygar is such a strange case because it is a show that is so good later on, and it's such a generic show in the beginning. I'll it, admit straight up, a guy tried to show me Gal Gygar, a friend of mine, years ago, on the worst Hong Kong bootleg subtitles I've ever seen, and between the terrible subtitles and the fact that I still don't really like the character designs for Gal Gygar, they always remind me of plastic toy-sized versions of the Transformers, which themselves yeah. were originally plastic toys. Yeah. And I didn't know the background for Galliar at the time and why that was the case. I was just like, why the hell is this robot's big, super-powerful hammer looking like a plastic toy mallet? And I didn't give it as much of a chance. And then once the fan subs came out, which actually had readable subtitles, that's when I went back and watched it. And I was like, oh, wow, this is actually pretty cool. So I don't blame people for that one, but that's a very special, isolated incidents case. I blame YouTube. Because I do know of podcasts out there who have reviewed anime where they have not even watched an entire episode of it. They, they just watched a 10-minute <laughs> clip on the first, because YouTube's file limit is 10 minutes no, long. No, 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 I, I, that's actually two different concepts. The idea behind YouTube is that you watch entertaining things that are like two minutes or less, and you get your entertainment right then, right there, right now. These people have downloaded anime, and then they have watched an episode, and they will not even finish watching the episode, and they will review the show. They should get jobs writing video game reviews. <laughs> yeah, that is like a crime, in my opinion. If you're going to give a show a bad review, at least have the decency to watch an entire episode. Really, is one episode really that... I watched an entire episode of Canon. Yeah. I watched an entire disc of Suzuka. I mean, I, I watched all of Birth twice. <laughs> We've watched all of Romeo's Blue Skies, and I'm sure that no one here knows oh how rough that show is to get Fuck through. that show! It is rough to get through that show. Yeah. If we can I do it, you guys do it. the entirety of My Santa twice, by the way, thanks, Gerald. Yeah, yeah. So, none of these excuses of you don't even want to watch the entire episode. Huh. Anyway, I guess we should uh, actually get on to another subject, which I actually meant to talk about last week. It's going on, what, now three months ago, that a whole bunch of movie theaters across America did this thing called Anime Bento, where they... Mm showed anime for about four days. Yeah, one-night showings of specific anime films. You would pay, I believe it was $10, it was higher than a regular charge, and you would see yeah. this one show that would be shown all over America, wherever... Wherever they were doing the anime bento thing. Yes, and Clarissa and I, we went to see Castle of Cagliostro. And we found out from the emails that the experiences that you guys had were pretty much equivalent to the experiences everybody had across the nation. Yeah, there was actually yeah. one by David Anderson. I won't read the whole thing because basically what he says is identical to what we went through. We went to see Cagliostro because Cagliostro is just a classic film and we wanted to see it on the big screen. 
One of our listeners was actually watching it with us, Jaime, and he had gone to the Full Metal Alchemist movie, what, a night previous or so. And we thought, at least I thought, that the Full Metal Alchemist movie would have been packed. Yeah. I mean, Full Metal Alchemist, I mean, if you look at the presence, the voice actors for it get at conventions and stuff, I mean, it's insane. Yeah. He went to that, and apparently... There were how many people in the Cagliostro movie? Probably about seven, maybe? Um, Eight, maybe? maybe? And he was saying that there was more people in Cagliostro than there were in Full Metal Alchemist. I think the Full Metal Alchemist phenomenon, this is a bit of a derail, but what we've been hearing lately is the interest in anime is at an all-time high, but the consumer base for anime is at an, almost an all-time low. It's dwindling. So mm-hmm. the interest in anime is getting higher and higher, and the amount of people buying anime is getting lower and lower. And I think nothing exemplifies that more than Full Metal Alchemist, with the amount of people who love Full Metal Alchemist versus the amount of people who actually buy it, buy Full Metal Alchemist <laughs> on DVD. is very, very surprisingly disparate. And the same thing goes for Haruhi Suzumiya. Yeah, it's worth mentioning this was for anime fans, and they decided to show Cagliostro dubbed. They showed the new version as well, the one that was more recently released by Manga Entertainment, you can tell, because the opening credits did not have all the animation in it. Right, they did it the streamlined picture style, but what was surprising to me from what all the testimonies I heard was, these weren't actually film prints of the movies. No, and I was just going to get to that. We actually watched, and Dina Anderson actually says this exact same thing, we watched all the way to the end. After the end of the movie, they showed one episode of the show called Tactics. We watched all the way to the end of that, and then suddenly a Windows 98 desktop just appears on screen. And so it looks like this whole thing was digitally streamed. And also the volume was <laughs> ridiculously loud. loud. Yes. On and that. It was a Windows 98 desktop. So, yeah, I mean, they did just do the digital thing. Like when you go to the movies and before the movie starts, they're running those crappy ads. Like maybe you go to Regal or whatever and they've got the 20, yeah. which is really insipid and horrible yes. and should be watched by nobody. How it's digitally streamed and it looks different. That's the case here. They didn't actually get film prints for any of these things. And I was thinking, oh, man film print of Cagliostro and seen on the screen. It was more just like if you took your DVD and put it on a giant projection screen. That's exactly how it was, and it was very unfortunate because I don't consider myself a hardcore videophile, but it just didn't look good. It looked exactly like you said. DVDs were not designed to be shown on theater screens. The resolution is just not high enough for that. Yeah, there were definitely areas where you could see... Artifacts, I believe is the word. Yeah, you could see some artifacting and you could see some blurring. Yeah, and the outlines of the characters looked really bad. I don't know, from what I'm gathering from the people who have emailed us about this, thanks for emailing us, by the way, and sorry it took so long to get to this, but this was a failure. And apparently they even cancelled some of these showings in some areas as well, because I guess people just weren't showing up to them. I mean, are they willing to pay $10 for something that's out on DVD? That I guess if they're in New York, it's more expensive than $10 for a ticket, but right. you don't seem to be getting your money's worth. No, yeah. you don't. I really wish that a lot of these companies could afford and be willing to shell out money to conduct some sort of surveys that would get answers about why people did or didn't take these things like either why people didn't show up if you know it flopped like this or why people did like it or things like why didn't you buy this release of yeah. the show or things because i'm curious what was it was it the fact that people didn't know it was happening i wouldn't have known it was happening if we hadn't have happened to go see a movie that they ran the promo on yeah um did people go to get the ticket and realize it was ten dollars and then say oh fuck it that's way too much money to pay 
That is a lot of money to pay for and what you're is. getting. That's completely true. Ten dollars yes. is a lot, especially given that it's not actual film prints. Yeah, yeah, and I was thinking that it was going to be a film print because at Otakon, at least, I know that there were at least some places where they had film showings of, say, the Full Metal Alchemist movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, I mean, they have a 35-millimeter room there, although not everything 100% there is 35-millimeter, but that's beside the point. It's more like you're paying $10 just to watch something that you very likely have on the shelf at home already. Right. And, and I mean, for again... people who might not have seen, say, Castle of Cagliostro, if the ticket is $10... You know, the DVD how is likely then 15. Are, right, how likely then are people going to be to go shell out 10 bucks for a movie that they haven't seen that they don't know whether they're going to like? Yeah. I mean, and I'm, so that's even more than a regular movie ticket. Not as many people are going to regular movies anymore. Yeah, I think it's just indicative of a general idea regarding, I guess, a visual entertainment, TV or movies and things like that. Most people now are content to just watch these things for free either through legal or illegal means and for anime fans especially that's becoming quite clear but interestingly enough the other thing people keep noting is manga sales are doing fairly well at least for big titles right. all those people who may not have wanted to pay money to see full metal Aquas in the theater and may not necessarily own the show on dvd might actually own all of the manga that's probably more feasible well, well the manga's, manga's only manga's, yeah it is yeah it's, it's very, cheaper by comparison and it's a physical tangible object yeah of course when you have your super long series it adds up definitely but still but if you can get people into it that's even better because then you've almost got that very long commitment of ten dollars every few months right what they really want is the thirty dollars every few months or for the dvd 25 yeah. whatever it is but yeah and i guess as a final point on this and i know the answer to this is that being a hardcore fan I am, it was kind of depressing to see it dubbed, because I really like the original sub of Cagliostro. I even like the streamline dub of Cagliostro, even though the script is retardedly inaccurate to what's actually being said. <laughs> yeah. Should have worn an asbestos suit, all that stuff. <laughs> and I yeah. guess if you're the type of anime fan who's willing to go out on a weeknight and pay $10 to see a movie, you might be willing to watch it subtitled, maybe. Maybe. I heard that Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon made some money. Yeah, I heard. Yeah. I wonder if part of the other thing with the issue of people paying for manga versus anime is that... It's reading scans sucks on a monitor. Yeah, I was about to say, I know a lot of people, a surprising amount, who say, yeah, I can read it on my computer screen, but I like having a book much better. It's much easier for me to read a physical book that I can hold then stare at the computer screen for ages reading. Combined with the fact that it's cheap means that there's a lot of people who are going to go ahead and buy the manga so they can have that physical copy that they can carry around with them and that doesn't strain their eyes the way a screen might. Whereas if it's anime, whether you're watching it on the television, on a movie screen, or on your computer... It doesn't strain your eyes any more or less. Yeah, and regardless of whether you downloaded it or you bought the DVD... You're getting really mostly the exact same thing. I mean, there may be some differences in how many language tracks you get or extras or something like that, but the show itself is the same, and the experience of sitting there looking at it on a screen is the same. Right, even though the main arguments for DVD versus fan subs is generally better video quality, better audio, we've seen that people are quite content to just watch anime on YouTube. Yeah. And so they don't yeah. really care. As long as they can see it relatively legibly, they're good. 
I don't know most, how. Most I, average anime fans. I don't know how you can uh, stand to watch certain shows. I can't read the subtitles half the time on the YouTube videos. Yeah. Especially if it's like a really well animated show. Yeah. Like converting it to the Flash video and putting it up in that 320 by 240 window. Right. I can't really tolerate it, but apparently a huge amount of people are just fine and dandy with it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I also, I think with manga, and I know that we might be the exception to this, but I think a lot of people have just become accustomed to reading things when they're waiting for something like the bus, when they're yeah. just laying in bed. And when people are sitting at a computer, they expect different sort of entertainment. I think maybe that's got a lot to do with it as well. Where's the sound in this manga? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I guess we've about beaten that to death. Yeah. So We're good I at guess that. <laughs> that's what we do best. Anyway, on the subject of special talents, we haven't gotten very many voicemails lately, and the reason is because we don't really play them very often. So, going to fix that right now, this one is from about a month ago. It's from Patrick, and it is a poem inspired by the trends in the new seasons. It's pretty interesting, although for the record, Patrick, Moe is targeted towards guys. What's with the Moe by Patrick McNamara? What's with the Moe? Guys like Toei and all the other studios are pumping it out just to please the girls playing with the curls and running around with their screams and shouts. All the little ladies, infants and babies with big round eyes like some kitty cats painted on the screen playing in a scene dressed up for school from shoes to hats. Where is all the mecha and all the high techa? A lot of otaku would like to know. Where are the Transformers and the other Reformers, or at least a decent tank on their TV shows? It's a crazy biz when guys like Fizz cater to the girls of the miniskirt set. How long till we see Boys Love and Yaoi being the only anime one can get? Thanks very much, Patrick, for sending that in. If you'd like to hear more of Patrick's poems, he's actually got a poetry podcast called Podcast Ping. You can check that out at podcastping.blogspot.com. Unfortunately, they are not entirely poems related to anime and anime fandom, but go check them out anyway. Once again, if you'd like to leave a voicemail, our voicemail number is 206-666-4296. Other podcast stuff. Remember the Lather's Blather podcast, the one hosted by Jeff Tatarik, and he didn't release a Robot Carnival episode in like forever? Well, it is finally out. So go to lathersblather.blogspot.com, even though that address is going to change the link is still there for now. Go and listen to his Robot Carnival review, even though it is very much the same as our Robot Carnival review. Whatever, promo time, and then I better get talking about 2Terra and stuff. Friday nights, live at 8. It's just push play. Is this Jeff? Yeah, this is Tony. Tony. <laughs> Sorry. Celebrity Oz. Just, uh, like, stick a bunch of different celebrities, throw them in a slammer, you know, mix them up with real Oz. prison inmates, and, right. and see what wacky hijinks can come up. <laughs> Produced by Aaron Spelling. Yeah. Shivs provided by. <laughs> Available at JustPushPlayOnline.com, JustPushPlay.net, and SomaCow.net. JustPushPlay is a proud part of the SomaCow Media Network. All right, possibly against my better judgment since I'm still teetering on the brink of coherency. I am now going to try and follow up a previous review from show number 51 of 2 Terra Volume 1, the manga from Vertical Inc., with Volumes 2 and Volumes 3. So I'm going to recommend you go back and listen to that review in show 51. But quick recap for those of you too lazy to take my advice and <laughs> actually go and do what I say. 2 Terra is a manga by Keiko Takemiya, who is a very famous shoujo manga author. 
and this is one of her first works released in English, but it is not actually a shoujo work. It's a shonen sci-fi sort of adventure. The first one released in English, isn't it? Yeah. It is the first one, okay. I, I think so. I don't remember hearing I believe before. it is. I'm probably sure if I were to get volume one in front of me and look at it, probably would say, this is the first thing by her that is released in English and it's momentous. As we stated before, yeah, she's a very, very famous pioneer in the field of shoujo manga as one of the uh, Showa 24 group. This is sort of a story of two people. I don't know if I really went into this in the previous review, but the main character is a guy named Jomi Marcus Shin, who discovers that the world he's lived in is a lie, and surprise, hey, you're actually going to be the fated leader of this downtrodden group of people known as the Mu, who have incredible psychic powers. And by the way, you also have incredible psychic powers. And he has to take a red pill or the blue pill. Yes, he has the no moment, and he takes the red pill. (laughs) The no moment, once again, is when you scream, no, and a giant explosion (laughs) happens. Obligatory, (laughs) mandatory in all psychic-based manga, as seen in even a monkey can draw manga. You have to have it. And this probably established that rule, or I don't know, there's so many psychic manga, and they all do it, I don't know. Blah, 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 gaming in space. Yep. Yeah. Very, very effeminate-looking guys. Saucer eyes. Clamp could probably <laughs> take a page from this book, and they probably did. And the other character is a guy named Keith Onion, who is a member of this oppressive world government that is run by computers. I'm sure if he was still alive, he would have been voiced by Kanedo Shiazawa. Yes. He is a robot. Yeah. <laughs> two Terra is sort of about these two opposing sides, and both of them are on their quest to return back to planet Earth, Terra. And so there's one way that says, okay, this government that's using this policy of superior domination, I believe is the term, as they translate it in the vertical manga, which is to say all kids are tested at once they reach a certain age, and that determines what you're going to be for the rest of your life, and you're going to go to this school, and et cetera, et cetera. Oh, by the way, right. if you're a psychic, you get executed. <laughs> but then why are there still psychics around? It is a mystery. Why can't the computer, which is in charge of doing all the genetic matches because people don't have sex anymore in the world of computer land, the computer breeds people. So if the computer's breeding people, then why are there still psychics? Come on, computer, do your job. <laughs> this is actually a, a salient plot point. Computer fails. <laughs> After mm. volume one of Two Terra, and I, I don't really know how much I can say of this without spoiling things, but Jomi and the Moo reach a planet. It's not earth it's a habitable planet i think it's what nasca and not to be confused I, with any well, crappy shows about yeah. oh. reincarnated incans or mayans mayans i believe it was spandex yes shitty shitty I'm show sorry malcolm in the middle you chose wrong to put nasca in your opening but no it's as n-a-s-k-a is how it's translated okay. anyway it ends the volume one with the birth of a child like that's been conceived through actual human means. I mentioned that in the movie they changed it so that this kid, whose name is Tony, and is not to be confused uh, with White Tony, aka Jeremy from Destroyal Podcast DX, or, or the Black Tony, Tony who is Mike Dan from R5 Central. No, this is not <laughs> even the Tony that we just talk about and nobody knows on the internet, and it's just as well. No, this is a more different Tony who looks exactly like a girl with his long, flowing, beautiful hair, but is actually a guy. Although, you know, they're a child, so who cares? What actually happens in these is that it continues on with this general storyline, but the way that this story unfolds is over the span of several decades. One of the things that I mentioned in the previous review as to why that happened was because the manga went on various hiatuses over the course of its 
three-year publication. And so they just kept jumping forward in time after each hiatus so that people weren't having to do too much catch-up. I think these later two volumes are much more in the sci-fi element. The first volume was very much, like I was alluding to, the guys in Academy <laughs> hating each other but kind of wanting to do each other too and then having to kill each other because it's shown an eye kind of and that's what always happens is they have to kill each other. Tutera continues the grand tradition, except it's now it's an intergalactic sort of space opera war between the Mu and their one ship and the entire empire of humanity. How does it always boil down to one ship versus entire empire and one ship still has a fighting chance? At least in this one, it's because you can make people's brains explode across light years. This is like the opposite of Angel Cop, where the computer emits psychic emanations as opposed to people have anti-psychic coating on their armor. It's harmful <laughs> to psychics. If only Keith Onion had come up with that one, then uh, yeah, really. the would have been fucked. That's pretty much what's going on. Volume 3, they do in fact get to Terra. They make it. But Terra is kind of a shithole. <laughs> it's not like <laughs> this. That's established on Volume 1, that Terra is a shithole. I'm not spoiling a thing. The whole reason that they had to colonize the galaxy and move out it is got because... got super polluted. Yeah, it got super polluted by humanity and the planet couldn't sustain the population. And the reason that the computer had to be set up was because they had to regulate the amount of people returning and living on the planet. So it turns out that very much like in Yamato, the world as we know it is populated by underground cities because it's not really safe to live on the surface. So they do make it and there is a grand confrontation with the big computer and after this battle, one shall stand and one shall fall, etc., etc. I thought that it was a pretty good read as far as just sci-fi adventure sort of things go. Mm -hmm. It was a pretty good deal. I mean, each volume, it was $14, but they were all pretty large volumes. I'm looking at volume two or three here and almost 300 pages per volume. And it's pretty well done. I know we had mentioned back in the previous show, show 61, when uh, Blackjack got licensed, that we were concerned that one of the things that Vertical does is they flop their manga translations. Back in show number 51, I had mentioned this, I just forgot it, but <laughs> Two Terra is actually <laughs> unflopped. It reads from right to left. We failed. So yes, we totally wasted everybody's time on show 61 <laughs> talking about the disadvantages of Vertical and how they're releasing things <laughs> flop to appeal to people who don't generally read manga because they have a hard time getting used to it. No, these are unflopped editions. But hey, bonus, I now have nothing whatsoever to feel sad about with the Blackjack release. It's pure, unadulterated hack. Indeed. Yay. <laughs> Even the sound effects aren't retouched. So there you go. I have no qualms about recommending the remaining two volumes of 2 Terra. And so I heartily recommend people pick it up. Apparently people did because they are releasing more Keiko Takamiya manga. And I yes, guess I'll talk are. about that in the closing bit because I only have volume one of it. One last thing I want to say, the exposure, the profile for 2 Terra has been increased as of late because the TV series, which I alluded to back in show 51, toured the Terra, which is a brand new anime series in Japan, and it finished. Mm -hmm. Now Gundam 00 is in that time slot. And that was a 26 episode. Actually, I think it was 26. It might have been 24, but it was pretty much a remake of this manga because there was previously an anime 24. in 1980. 24? Okay. Okay. And the anime movie had to compress down a whole lot to tell the story. This one, 
the 24 episodes, like I said, from what I saw, it seemed to expand from the story. But I think that it was pretty well done. I thought that the expansion got to flesh out some characters that didn't really get a whole lot of screen time. The other thing that people were kind of down on were character designs. They look a little different in the anime because it was Nobuteru Yuki, I guess, did the character designs. I like the character designs a lot, though. Yeah, they look fine to me. I mean, they're slightly different than the original manga, but you have to bear in mind this manga is from the 70s. And so I think that Nobuteru Yuki was extremely faithful to the original character designs while still updating them. Yeah. Enough so you don't look at it and say, oh, this is an old anime character design. I miss the original character designs because I love old school shoujo artwork. But mm-hmm. at the same time, a lot of old shoujo artwork is way too detailed to animate really correctly. feasibly I mean, animate, especially I mean, for a television show. And I think that the designs in the TV show that Nobutari Yuki did, like you can still look at it and tell, yeah, this came from... This old shoujo, like some of the ways that the characters' hair and eyes and such look, you can see that influence, but like you said, it doesn't look immediately old. And I think that the Two Terra movie, the 1981, I think that the new TV series almost stuck closer than that movie. And also lots of male nudity, which is <laughs> a plus for some people, I guess. Yeah. Hmm? I do agree with... Daryl especially. Yes, especially me. That's why he likes Fist of the North Star so much. They aren't <laughs> naked enough in Fist of the North Star. Just No. <laughs> Not enough hugging. No, only hugging. hugging when they're coughing up blood that's turned white to avoid censorship. Or they're, they're hugging when they, when they need to... Which makes hilariously inappropriate. <laughs> When they're like hugging to kill each scene. other. Yeah, this is not a Fist of the North Star review, unfortunately. <laughs> Although everything can be if you read my Otaku USA articles. Yes. I think a lot of people who watch this show, it seemed to be fairly popular in the fan subs. Yeah. I don't think they even had an idea that this is a really old manga. Because the character design updates is pretty good. The animation is good enough that it doesn't have that old manga stigma to it. Even though, it, if you're people like us, you can know what to look for. Yeah. Happily, I have seen a few people who liked the TV show. It looks like they may be going back and reading the manga. So That's my hope. I don't remember if this got licensed or not. Maybe it did. I don't know if people would necessarily buy it. I think the best shot that people have got would be that they'd maybe watch the Toward the Terra anime, the recent one, and they say, oh, this is interesting. Let me go and read the manga now that I can buy it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was, in fact, licensed. Keith Onion, unfortunately, not being able to be voiced by Kanye Shiazawa, so he's voiced by Takahiro Koyasu. Oh, boy. He's not as high profile as he was, like, even five or you know, ten years yeah. ago, that he was appearing in every single anime doing the exact same voice. I believe he actually has the most credits for For anime. any male voice actor ever. For wouldn't, any, yeah. wouldn't surprise me. I think he has done the most different characters in anime, unlike mm-hmm. Masaka Nozawa, who's done, like, I believe the most hours of anime. The Masaka Nozawa like voice of Goku, Goku and Gohan, Goten, Goten, and Gohan, Doraemon. Doraemon as well. So. Any one of which is <laughs> eternal lifetime employment. Yes. yes. The show is pretty well done. Now that the whole thing was over, very satisfying ending. It was pretty much equivalent to what happened in the manga. Almost would kind of want an epilogue to it. Although I must say that for those of you who did watch that 1980 movie, if you somehow tracked it down, the manga ends a little differently. I mean, the exact same stuff still ends up happening, but, like, the final shots are different. But I think that the TV series ended up being more faithful than the movie did because character Tony was a little more fleshed out 
in the TV series than the film, who because Tony just sort of shows up and is like, oh, here I am, and now I'm just going to go crazy. But you're not saying the movie's bad. It's just... The movie's not bad at all. I mean, I know a lot of people who like that movie yeah. as like their favorite movie of all time, and I don't yeah, blame yeah. them. I don't blame them either. It's just uh, it's a hard thing to find. Yeah, it right, is. Right. I don't know if there's any digital encode of it still. There's no DVD release of it, is there? Nope. It has been out of print for like 10 years. So. Yeah. I mean, I know there are like some sort of people who wouldn't like this show. Let's say you have no idea what it is and you watch it. You do have to understand that To Terra or Toward the Terra is a total space opera psychic kind of show. Don't try and think about any of this stuff remotely making like real sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to continually break down your suspension of, of disbelief that it establishes. Yeah, kind of like watching Captain Harlock or some other Leiji Matsumoto work. If you or, think about it too hard, it just all falls apart. And, or and you're anything confused. with giant robots at all that isn't yeah. Gossadok that tries to ruin yeah. the, the fun of giant robots. Or Fist of the North Star. Right, which is a documentary. but <laughs> Or any anime in general. <laughs> well, so. no, no, here's the thing. It's not any anime in general. The specific complaint is that what some people who are fans of sci-fi insist upon in their sci-fi is that mm -hmm. they want the world to establish a set of rules, and they'll mm -hmm. suspend disbelief for that set of rules, and then once those things are established in the beginning, you can work within that set of rules and stick to that. Right. It's a pretty popular prescription for writing now. It's right. sort of that's part of the formula of what mm -hmm. we consider to be good writing at this point in our culture. Yes, and Two Terra yeah. doesn't really adhere to that. Two Terra is like, okay, these are the rules. Guess what? We're not doing that anymore. And <laughs> they kind of do that maybe just to change things up. For me, I'm like, all right, space, warp drives, psychic murdering toddlers, whatever, <laughs> sure. <laughs> no complaints there. It is kind of a depressing anime though be warned though you gotta you gotta understand beat you mercilessly yeah very melodramatic space opera and you kind of have to be all or nothing with the melodrama and i think this is in the all category poor sekirei shiroe yep all those shonen eye things always ended badly well it's just like all the classic yuri manga always had horribly depressing endings always <laughs> You couldn't have it end happily, because I guess at that point, they didn't really have the let's cheerfully defy society and we'll live happily ever after. It was like, defy society and your life is misery and then you die. <laughs> That's the Japanese way. Yeah. The Japanese way, indeed. It's much less grim now, in their fiction anyway. I, I don't know as much about real life. Real there, life but... is probably much worse, but <laughs> I know one of the common complaints people had about maybe Volume 1 or the early episodes of the TV series was they didn't like... How Jomi Marcus Shin was this whiny sort of I don't want to do this kind of hero. I guarantee you, by the end of either this manga or by the end of the anime, that whiny Jomi is totally not even there anymore. His character does a total change over time. And I do like that aspect of this manga that characters start off <laughs> one way. And then by the time you get to the end, you wouldn't even recognize them as the previous character that they once were because of all the things that have happened. I appreciate that happening, although I know a lot of I people tend too. to ignore it. Yeah. For years, people still complain about how Amuro Ray from Gundam is whiny. And Amuro Ray from Gundam was whiny for like the first few episodes of the TV series, and then over the course of well over a decade, he was a totally different character. But all people remember him as is Bright Noah slapping him around and him complaining, even my old man didn't hit me.
Yeah. It's not really I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of tired of the... The whiny hero. Well, no, I'm kind of tired of the people bitching about it. I guess it really bothers me now that the whole Moe movement has taken force. Is like, people like or want these female characters who are really helpless and whiny and cry all the time and need protecting. That's fine, but people pitch a shit fit anytime a male lead character is not a complete asshole and not super macho and good at everything. God forbid you have a male lead character who... Has got flaws? Yeah, yeah, or maybe doesn't want to go kill people. Or, they had, no, they, it all has to be like Snow Crash. Or... It all has to be like Snow Crash. It all has to be male, oh, nerd, masturbatory fantasies. Where the We main should have a Snow Crash anime. Oh. The main character can do anything at any time required, no matter what. Yeah, I'm going to write about Gogo 13 now. That's what <laughs> I'm going to do. You're allowed one, or ten <laughs> in my case. I would say one. Gogo's the only one I can tolerate. Because he has no personality. No, he has personality. He has plenty of personality. He's just not good at expressing himself. Well, the opposite <laughs> other hand, that's why I... people in the head. That's why, other than a vague level of amusement, I haven't gotten super into Gogo 13 because he has no personality. And I'm like, he... okay, I'm bored now. Well, There's just nothing re... to this character. Just read his live journal. You'll, you'll get everything <laughs> you... Update number one. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> No further updates. <laughs> Dear Live Journal, I shot a guy in the head today. No, I think it would be like woman Dear Zardoz's <laughs> name. I, I wanted to say, Dear Live Journal, I saw a puppy today. It was so kawaii. Carrot <laughs> underscore yes. carrot. It'll really just be like, nobody understands me, Live Journal. <laughs> to Terra, even though your heroes start off as kind of like that, eventually they mature, and I'm much more forgiving of that than starting off like that and never changing, which is all the trend ever since Evangelion made a billion dollars. Just uh, have your whiny hero who stays a whiny hero. I don't want to hear any quotes about being judged at the age of 14, okay, pencils down, you know who you are, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of Carls out there. Yeah, there are a lot of Carls out there. Maybe this one is one who's also known as Hardy's. <laughs> Anyway, we, but how yeah, anyway, we this is not yes. about... How did we get to this? I don't know. It's all because of complaining about these heroes who weren't super duper gung-ho. And I know a lot of people stopped watching 12 Kingdoms after the first few episodes because they didn't take my advice that that was over and done with after four episodes. Mm -hmm. Screw them. Let's talk more about Golgo 13 and his puppies. <laughs> it's a difficult thing to discuss to Terra. I'm having a bit of trouble because there's all these jumps in time that can be several years in between chapters or even in between episodes as you're watching the TV show. And you right. end up being confused and wondering, did I miss an episode? What was the last episode I watched? Let me go yeah, back. Yeah, that definitely happened to me. It was like, wait, wait, what? It's been four years? What? You're not sure. You get confused a bit. Right, right. It's a spoiler. Well, that happened four years ago. Yeah, but it was an episode ago. <laughs> yeah. And then when they go to the next episode, you're like, wait, is this happening at the same time or did we skip four years again? But I think that... If you watch the anime, the 24 episodes of the anime, I think you'll like it. Yes. And I also think that if you like the anime, you should read the manga. Or if you read the manga, you should go watch the new anime series, because they're yep. both very good. And that's pretty much all I gotta say as far as that goes, so... Onwards. <laughs> good day, Anime World Order. Uh, this is General Beefy here once again. And I have to tell you, it's been a hard bit of time for the General. And I must say, part of it was helped by you and part of it was not. And I'll get to the bottom line. 
I was listening to your review of Nadia, The Secret of Blue Water when I was out in the middle of nowhere, South Dakota, near a small place called Wall Drug. And the part where you go, black people. Yeah, I was listening to that on my headphones, and that was funny. And we stop at a gas station, and I go to tell that to the guy I'm with who's driving the car. And the only goddamn black person in all of freaking South Dakota has to be there as I go, black people. Yeah, so I look like a goddamn racist. Awesome for me. And also, South Dakota has some other bullshit laws, gun laws. Fuck you, South Dakota. Same team. Same team, man. Yeah, yeah. Fuck you, South Dakota. Back in episode four, I talked about the first disc of the show, Hakuge, The Legend of Moby Dick. And that was way back when we really didn't have the whole reviewing thing down, and we thought it would be a really good idea to review just parts of shows. We still don't have the whole reviewing thing down, but we at least now know better than to review an entire show, or at least review a show based on just a few episodes. I actually did say in that that I was going to catch up with the show at some point, and since the show has now been fully released for... Like, no, I'm sorry. Some <laughs> cat tried to jump on me. <laughs> That's getting edited out. <laughs> <laughs> then don't edit it out. Yeah. Anyway, where was is that? I? Like the Co- is that like the Conan O'Brien edited out where they say they're going to edit it out and then they never do? Then, yes, yeah. ever since that's become the Dave and Joel and greatest movie ever. That's oh, yeah, getting yeah. edited out. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we, we learned that it's probably not a good idea to review something based on a few episodes or like some podcasts, not even watch an entire episode and then review a show based on that. I'm hoping that this will be somewhat short because I'm going to go through the plot line of this pretty quickly since I did talk about the plot line back in episode four, although those things are not very listenable, those early episodes. Anyway, I have now finished the show for a very quick sort of plot summary. The show itself, Hakuge, Legend of Moby Dick, as you can guess, is very loosely based on the novel by Herman Melville. By very loosely, I really mean very loosely, because this show is set in the year 4699, and it involves whale hunters who travel through space and fight these giant trash spaceships. So this is Moby Dick, kind of like how Gankuto is the Count of Monte Cristo? Yeah, very much so. That's a good sort of parallel. They seem to be doing that a lot, updating the old classic works of literature in space! With varying degrees of success. Anyway, the main character for this series is a young boy named Lucky Luck, who goes to this kind of planet where all of these whale hunters hang out in order to request help from Ahab. Ahab, by the way, is played by Akio Otsuka, who is better known as the voice of Bato and perhaps Blackjack, one of my favorite voice actors. Lucky Luck requests the help of Ahab to help his crew come to his homeworld of Moad, where this planet is dying because of Moby Dick. And Moby Dick is this giant 
sort of spaceship that's circling the Earth that's slowly killing it. Let me get beyond what I talked about in the first review of this and give some slightly more complete thoughts on this show. The thing that first attracted me to Hakage was the fact that this was directed by Osamu Tezaki and had character designs by Akio Sugino. You've probably heard us talk about these two a number of times. These two are kind of a powerhouse, and I am a major fan of virtually anything that these two guys have done. They did the Blackjack OAVs. I am they, as well. Yeah, they yeah. did Ace One Arai. Goal Go 13. I think they really need to be together to function effectively. More Dezaki than Sugino. Yeah. Because Dezaki, what's he doing now? Clanad or whatever they call Clanad. that thing? yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to pay the bills, I guess. This show really is no exception. Well, this show in general does come with a few more caveats than most of the other shows that they've done. First of all, the cast of this show is very large. While the major people in the show are basically Lucky Luck, Ahab, and a mysterious android called Dew. Ahab has his crew, which has something like 10 or 11 people, or 11 or 12 people. And even when I got to the very end of the show, I really didn't know who everybody is. The majority of the show ends up taking place on the planet Moad, and the whole storyline with Moby Dick is kind of set aside for a while because there's this very big evil military organization that is generally making life intolerable for everybody. Let me actually go on another tangent here. One thing that we see a lot in shonen series, especially in like shonen fighting series, Naruto especially, we see that the main character of the show is probably the least interesting character in the entire show, while a lot of the side characters are really where the show is at. This show is generally the opposite, in that the main characters are incredibly interesting, while the side characters are either totally uninteresting or, at worst, really annoying. I think it's actually better it turn out that way, given that the majority yes. of the screen time goes to the main characters by definition. I agree. It's kind of annoying that the side characters do get a lot of screen time. But, like, case in point, a character shows up in episode 6 whose name is White Hat. This is a very minor spoiler for the show, but White Hat was an investigator who found Ahab and put him in prison many years ago. What sort of investigator was he? Like a whale investigator? A private investigator. Okay. Just a Government crime? Really. Yeah, just basic policeman type. The first time you see this white hat character, he's kind of an interesting character. He's an older guy, he's middle-aged, he's balding, he's having a divorce, and he's got a kid. Virtually in like an episode or two later, he turns into this character who basically is there to spout really bad puns, act cartoonish, and put together very strange-sounding haiku. He just becomes kind of annoying, and a lot of the humor in the show is very much dependent upon Japanese linguistic puns, which do not translate very well, just by their very nature. So what they do, they have to write their own puns, like what happened in, say, the Ranma one-half translation that Viz did, or what? What I gathered from reading the subtitles of it was that they just kind of had to write out what was there, and kind of finagle the words a bit to kind of get the same point across. I mean, translating for the show must have been really tough because so many of the things were just a wordplay. Again, that just does not translate very well. This illustrates one of the big problems with the show is that there is a lot of attempted humor in the show that doesn't work. It's not as bad as Seiji Mizushima. He's the guy that directed Full Metal Alchemist, who I know a lot of people like that show, but I absolutely hate his directing style because I know him as the guy who basically has one or two jokes that he goes over and over and over and over again throughout an entire show. 
Hakage has like three jokes, or, or what's the story? Hakage has got a lot of jokes, none of which are funny. I don't know. I guess, you know, one doesn't really mean it's any better than the other. I guess. I mean, I thought that some of the jokes in Fullmetal Alchemist were actually very funny. Yeah, I was about to say, I'd take a few jokes that are actually funny, but the same ones, I guess, over a lot of jokes, but none of them are actually amusing. I don't know. I didn't find any of Fullmetal Alchemist funny. Um, well, humor is very... A personal, it's very much a matter of personal right. taste. Kind of so. like how Commando is not a comedy; it's it's a real you know, <laughs> struggle of a man named John Matrix and his attempt to get his daughter back. And I don't know why you're laughing. I, I agree. I, I'm totally supporting your point here. But anyway. As the show moves on, they actually introduce a lot of other characters once they get to the planet of Moad. And some of these characters are very interesting. I really wish that some of these characters had more time. I mean, two of the characters that I'm specifically talking about are Murato and Ohara. Murato is this gigantic android. I guess he's actually a cyborg who is condemned to live the life of, I guess the technical term is a cyborg. And in this world, if you are an absolutely horrible criminal... You were turned into a cyborg. So are they like Shotaru Ishinomori cyborgs? Like, oh, woe is me, I'm a cyborg. No, not really. I mean, we don't actually oh, no. see a whole lot of them. And the, the idea is that a cyborg can never, ever, ever, ever die. Mm. That even if it's just blown up completely, the core of the cyborg is always going to survive. And so they're condemned to live forever as a cyborg. And if they eventually turn their life around in some way, they are allowed to be shut down. And that is like the best thing that you can ever hope for if you are condemned like that. The other character, Ohara, she is the manager of basically the military presence on Moad. She's played by Hiromi Tsuru, who is one of my favorite voice actresses, but she is quite possibly one of the most interesting female characters I've seen in anime. She's an extremely manly woman, and she is clinically insane and incredibly smart and capable. I would probably compare her to, um, and I guess we haven't reviewed this show, but we should, Saint Just, I guess, from Onisama. <laughs> really, really just insane. And this Murato is basically her pet. Whenever she is really angry about something, she'll just take out something and start beating him. And Murato is a giant cyborg, so it doesn't hurt him or anything, but she just needs to get this aggression out. But Didn't they make a whole show around that concept about that angel? Dokuro-chan? Yes. <laughs> that was a good anime, because uh, it was over after the however many short episodes it was, like six episodes, and they're like... Yeah. Five-minute episodes or whatever. They made a second season, I Oh, think. man. <laughs> yeah, I think they did. <laughs> oh. As with some positives, like Murato and, and Ohara, there are some negatives as well. The show was originally designed to be 39 episodes. It was shortened to 26 episodes, and it was also pushed around an enormous amount in terms of a production schedule. The show started in 1997, and then at episode 18, it stopped for a year and then picked up again in 1999. The fact that the show got finished at all is kind of a miracle, because the show was never popular in Japan. Yeah, it sounds like it's interesting that they even released it here. Maybe they just had to license it as part of a package deal. Hmm. I don't know. I think maybe there are some fans of this somewhere in ADV Films, because it's a very interesting show and very weird. Osama Dezaki even said, with the individual DVDs, the inserts have excerpts from an interview with him in every DVD hmm. about the show. And these are very interesting. And he talks about it that basically it was just kind of a miracle that the show ever got completed. This show that really wasn't popular got put on hold for a year. I mean, how many times do unpopular shows get completed like that? The problem was that he couldn't 
changed the length of the show. The show originally was going to be 39, and when you shorten the show by that much, you're going to lose something. Right. It's really rough because the show really does not have a satisfying ending. And I'm not going to say what the ending is. Like, I was watching this, and as the ending came up, I mean, I don't usually say this, but I just said, what the fuck? That's not the ending. I actually watched all the way to the end of the credits, because I totally expected there to be some epilogue, something to say what the deal was with the characters. Nothing. It just stopped. That really is a bummer for me, because the show really should have had a bit more of a satisfying ending. So this is a show with a whole lot of contradictions. If I were talking to a whole bunch of Osamu Dezaki fans and Akio Sugino fans, I'd say this is worth checking out, because everything that you like about those guys is here. It's super melodramatic, it's got gorgeous artwork right throughout the entire show, but unfortunately, since I'm talking to a very large crowd, not very large, okay, I'm talking to about 15 people, but I'd have to make a couple of concessions. It is a very, very weird show on every level. It looks beautiful throughout, but the show is just very strange. In what ways is it strange? Some of the things that happen in it, the dialogue, some of the humor is very strange. Early on in the show, when they're on this planet with all of the uh, other whale hunters, there's the song that's playing constantly all the time, all about how much this girl loves chocolate. <laughs> really just weird stuff. Also, especially the side characters on the crew are all very strange. Sometimes the show will just do really annoying things. There's this one point in the show where a side character dies, and the side character was really annoying. I was really glad that this character died. And then suddenly they spend an entire episode or two resurrecting this character. And all I wanted to say was, no, 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 leave him dead. I was happier like that. But no. Yeah. That's so annoying. I, I, really... I, I realized over time that that's like the rule of animes. <laughs> if there's a character that I really like, not even necessarily just anime and manga, it happens in other things too, but most of the time, like, if somebody's gonna die, it will probably be a character that I really like. On the other hand, the characters that I think are total shitbags and that I absolutely hate will never die. Part of that is by design. I think a lot of times writers know that this is a likable character, and so killing them will have an emotional impact on the viewer or the reader or whatever. Well, yeah. unfortunately, sometimes for me it's the opposite, because the character that I'm supposed to like... The character supposed to I like is the stand. character that the writer likes. They're two different people. Hey, right. Death Note, what's going on? I'm supposed to like this character, but I really don't. So I hate them. But they're supposed to be the person that you like, or they're the writer's favorite character, or whatever, so yeah, they won't die. Unfortunately, that happens in this show, too. So, I guess it comes down to who would I recommend this show to. And, as I said, Osamu Dezaki fans and Akio Sugino fans, I think this is definitely a show that they would like. I should this watch is not this as, yeah, This is not as accessible a show as I think Blackjack is. Right. Just because the brand of humor is so strange, the humor you can tell just did not translate over at all. And I thought that other than maybe the main character, a lot of the character designs didn't seem to look very obviously, aha, uh -huh, Akio Sugino character design-ish. It looks more cartoony from that one cell of it that you had. That one cell I've got is representative of a cartoony moment in the show. The cell I'm talking about, I actually posted this in the show notes for episode four. I actually bought just a cell of a random show, and I didn't know, find out until later that it was actually this show. The characters look a lot more Sugino-like for the most part. Mm. If you're feeling adventurous, I and mean, if you don't really care about Sugino and all that, and you're in for something, like, really weird, 
then I think that this is a show that's worth checking out. Because it is something that I don't think I've seen a whole lot of in anime. It is something that is certainly memorable, even if sometimes it does things that really annoy me. If this was a show that you had just watched and you didn't know that the name Osamu Dezaki or the name Akio Sugino was attached to it, like you personally, Mm -hmm. would you have kept with it or did you kind of just buy it because you knew that this was something they worked on? Were there times where you're watching and it's like, ah, I don't know if I like this, but this is a Dezaki Sugino thing and I'm going to stick with it based on that. I was on the edge for a lot of the show. Because I remember it took you quite some time to get through this series. Yeah, it did. It took me quite a while to get through it. Every now and again, there would be awesome parts of episodes and be awesome episodes and then there'd be a couple of these episodes, like resurrecting a really annoying character, and why is it abusing its audience like this? I don't know. I guess it's not really a very wholehearted recommendation. All of the Akio Sugino and Osamu Dezaki works, this is probably the hardest to recommend. Hmm. So, yeah, I don't really have a whole lot more to go with <laughs> Gang in Anime World Order, my name's Tom Lorian, and I'd like to say, among other things, your podcast rocks the many twisting tubes of the internet. It has delivered more comedy and insight than the lion's share of nonsense a DSL connection affords me the pleasure of seeing. With a great abundance of opinion congesting the internet, personality is what sets the successful reviewers apart, and it's your personality people want. Responding to fans and promoting response from fans is great, but you guys are the show, and we fans are just a sport. In conclusion, new Getter Robo rules. Keep up the diligent delivery of the raw, unfiltered truth. And that's it for show 62 of Anime World Order. As always, you can check out the website at animeworldorder.com, email us at animeworldorder at gmail.com, or call that fabulous voicemail number at 206-666-4296. Next week, we actually have a uh, very special show. Depending on the rate at which we were able to get shows edited, once again, magazine deadlines coming up, other various terrifying things that are eating up our spare time, other than all the video games, are also <laughs> upon us. But show number 63 is going to be very, very special because inspired by the fact that a certain someone stole a certain review from me, the next episode is going to be Totally Lame Anime Festival because I am going to be talking about the uh, perennial classic of sucktitude that is known as Dog Soldier, Shadows of the Past. <laughs> The show I'm going to be talking about is actually awesome. So is Dog Soldier. Yes, yes, that's right. I'm going to be talking about the first 15 episodes, because no more of it is out, and I'm very, very upset about that, of the uh, 1986 series Machine Robo Revenge of Kronos. You might know it better as the inspiration for the toys in GoBots. And, uh... Clarissa, you're luckiest of all. <laughs> yes. Yes, I will be talking about a true classic, a shining beacon... Of anime awesomeness. Dog Soldier and Machine Robo alone, those are very powerful, but compared to what Clarissa's got, they're yes. but pebbles. Yeah. Yeah, I'll right. I'll be talking about 
the OAV crystal triangle. Oh, man. <laughs> We're going to call in an expert on Totally Lame Anime. Next time, we will have Mr. Neil Nadelman on as Woo-hoo! our special guest. So do look forward to that. Yes, he worked on all of those shows in a translating capacity, of course. We'll have some very interesting things to tell us about them. I guess we'll end on this note since we were probably going to do this starting in show number 60 and then we forgot to do it. But yeah, as we've been saying all throughout this episode and several previous episodes, we don't like how in the past we've had to do reviews based on not having watched the entire show. But these companies send us these single discs and they want to hear our impressions of it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a really short, maybe five minutes or so, quick impressions of Xenosaga Enter the Gnosis Volume 1. This is not meant to be the full review, so don't take it as such. This is episodes 1 through 4, and Xenosaga, the animation, is of course the animation of the very popular, well, pretty popular, (laughs) somewhat popular, video game of the same name. It's a sci-fi story. The thing is that I'm not too sure anybody would be interested in this show who is not already familiar with the game. And if you played the game, you pretty much have seen this anime already because it was one giant cutscene. Yeah. Pretty much. And this basically takes, and I have actually played Xenosaga and I've played Xenogears, and this takes, maybe not scene for scene, but it follows the original video game very, very closely in Mm. the few episodes that I watched. When this was being fan-subbed, I remember that there weren't a lot of people that were very happy with it. The one thing that stood out to me was that this show mm. seems to want to do an enormous amount of work in what is essentially a very, very limited budget. It has got amazing character designs by Nobuteru Yuki. Yeah, Xenogears and Xenosaga don't really strike me as the sort of thing you want to animate if you don't have a fairly sizable budget. Yeah, and we don't see a whole lot of sci-fi anime, straight-up sci-fi anime nowadays, and I guess that might be because in order to animate really kind of big deal space battles and lots of weird equipment and cyborgs and things like that. Just the design alone for the main character, Cosmos. I guess she qualifies a cyborg? Uh, She's more of an android. Android, okay. Her design is ridiculously complicated. And Nobuteru Yuki is just known for extremely good designs. But these are basically (laughs) my impressions of episodes 1 through 4. Maybe they'll send us the rest of it, maybe they won't, but... When we get the rest of it, I guess you will hear our full impressions then. All right, that's it for this episode. See you next time.